Hi, it's JP Mac, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Okay, so today on Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog, um, I want to talk about um, how we are basically sliding into this leftist totalitarian utopian uh form of government what uh orwell would call a totalitarian oligarchy and so i'm reading this um article it's from fox news it's called uh u.n negotiators agree to pay climate reparations to poor nations so basically what this is, is, um, the, the UN as, as it has become for probably several decades now, at least is a globalist, um, a globalist, um, socialist or leftist entity. Okay. And they're following this pattern they've fallen in i guess you could say or they've bought in collectively into this form this new world order or um this totalitarian oligarchy that's um um forming under our you know before our very eyes in the world you know kind of led um in part by people like Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, but also uh, basically every leftist and socialist um, there is. And so while there is no, you know, one titular head of this leftist utopian cabal, uh, you know, Klaus Schwab kind of is the thought leader of it but the un is actually the vehicle by you know the, the governing vehicle by which uh leftism is attempting to perpetuate perpetuate itself and so it's important to understand that first of all that the un again as a whole not like the individual countries, but as a body is leftist totalitarian um, form of government, or at least it would be totalitarian uh, form of government. And it's very much in line with the ideals of the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and ESG, and they thought they think that basically ESG is great, and all of these um, liberal or uh, leftist touchstones, you know, they they go for all of it: the global warming, um, the COVID restrictions, and uh, one of the main characteristics, of course, is that comes particularly from the Marxist side of it, is the re redistribution of wealth. The idea that, com that countries 
that the wealthier countries have their wealth and it's all or mostly all ill-gotten wealth and they they don't deserve it and they've gotten it at the expense of other countries now this can be true to a certain extent but certainly as time goes on where we have less true empires and we are uh engaging pretty much in free market capitalism or at least some sort of free markets or some sort of capitalism you know we've been getting away from the idea of one country ruling others you know like the idea of the british empire you know before they ruled over um india and jamaica and canada and all these countries at one time now they basically rule over just their own island and a few other small places um, around the world so now you know they used to control hong kong for instance now they've turned it over to the communist china and so the uh, sun now sets on the british empire or at least uh, parts of it um, but the idea is and it's kind of driven by these imperial powers from the 18th and 19th and 20th centuries, you know, like France and Spain and Great Britain and to a lesser extent, uh, the United States, um, the idea of, you know, uh, colonial powers. Um, so the idea is with the, with the UN and with, with the leftists is that these um, colonial powers, these empires or former empires, um, got their wealth through exploiting other countries. And so, and I, to a certain extent, probably more the farther back you go, that more the, the more true that notion is. But now we have trade, you know, we have independent countries. Uh, we have the idea of sovereign nations deal, doing business with each other and uh, capitalism again. So that's less and less so. So we're, may, may, but they may have had a case, you know, against imperialism or against colonialism a hundred years ago. Now it's not, not so much. But still the left hasn't let go of that idea. And also there's the other idea that, you know, there's also, if one person has wealth or power or influence, it's at the expense of some other person or some other na nation. So to the Marxist or leftist way of thought, you have, uh, everything is a zero-sum game okay for someone to be winning someone else has to be losing so if someone is making money someone else is losing money over here and that is the fallacy that drives a lot of left leftist thinking and so basically the un has kind of seized on to this utopian marxist idea um, of redistribution of wealth now normally when we talk about communism uh, we're, we're talking about individuals being part 
of a communist system, like a, a communist country, like, like the old Soviet Union. Okay, you had the citizens of the Soviet Union. They were part of this communist country called the Soviet Union, you know, or, or China or what have you. Um, but now what the, the, so you take that idea of the person, individual person being part of a communist system. And now you, you multiply that or, you know, rise it on a factor, uh, mathematical factor. Now you have, instead of the individual think country, and instead of like the communist system in, in a country, you have a global communist system. And so that's what the idea of redistribution of wealth is. It's basically communism on a scale above the individual. So now we're talking about nations rather than individuals being members of this communist society. And just as no individual is supposed to be uh, superior to any other individual in a communist system or a socialist system, uh, nor can, in this larger sense, a country be superior in any way to um, another country. And so that there's the idea of e inequality of countries. And again, it goes to the same dualism theory of Marx and that for every imbalance of power between two people or two groups of people that there's an oppressor and an oppressed. Well, the same goes is true, they think, for on the national levels for countries. So some countries are oppressor countries and other countries are oppressed countries. And every country, now of course you have the United States as the world's superpower. Okay, so that's the apex predator that is predating on all these other smaller fishes in the sea. And so that's the idea that the left has is that you have these superpowers conveniently for some reason they don't include china in that um they probably wouldn't include soviet union but anyhow because they're, they're the ones they like they're only concerned with the ones they don't like the western um capitalist democracies and so that's the one that that they're trying to emphasize um, their power against, they're, they're trying to levy their powers against. And so you have this idea in the UN that like people who are unequal, you know, they are unequally skilled, they have unequal natural talents, some people are smarter, some people are better athletically. Um, and so that contributes to an inequality, okay, of outcome. You have you have equality of opportunity. That's what we believe. Um, the Marxists believe in equality of outcome. And so does the UN believe in the greater scale in the equality of outcome. And so 
that is how, that is why um, you have the UN doing what it is doing now. Where, you know, UN negotiators agree to pay climate reparations to poor nation nations. Um, so this is just really uh, the redistribution of wealth, but at a global level or, or at a national level, where normally we think of the redistribution of wealth is between a wealthy individual to a less wealthy, poor individual. Well, here in the UN, it's the same thing, only it's a wealthy country redistributing its wealth to a less wealthy country. And of course, the idea is the appeal to, like, say, a, I don't know, a slacker or somebody who doesn't want to work, or someone who's really not interesting, in, interested in doing too much, or not a go-getter or whatever. They're and they're worried about their ability to compete with other people. Now that you know, so they want to reduce the effect of their natural talents or natural abilities or lack of natural abilities and talents and with their abilities to compete. Now, of course, countries have much the same thing. They have natural resources. Uh, they have systems of government. Some are better than others. Some are more corrupt. And so all of their wealth gets squandered into a very small few uh, in the ruling class. You see that a lot in uh, Africa particularly in post-colonial Africa, but also in other parts of the world too. And so you have that, and so there's, but there's this idea that since countries cannot make it on their own, it's up to the, the more well-suited, more well-able countries, you know, the countries that aren't corrupt, that didn't squander all their uh, resources, you know, um, and riches on making one person or one person's family super rich and everybody else super poor. Um, so they want to redistribute the wealth of the entire globe, and that's what the UN is all about. Now, again, it's mainly um, redistributing wealth from the capitalist countries like the United States, um, Great Britain, uh, for instance, Canada, to the less well-off countries, or the ones they believe in less well-off countries. And so you have this redistribution of wealth at a national level, as opposed to normally an individual level. Okay, so I'm going to read, uh, again, this is from Fox News, UN negotiators agreed to pay climate Reparations to Poor Nation, and the subheadline is Some Middle Income Countries That Are Severely Battered by Climate Disasters May Also Receive Aid. And then at the end of this, I'll talk about um, why I think that this is misguided. But here it is, um, basically what's going on. Representatives and negotiators from nearly 200 countries have reached a historic agreement to pay reparations to poor countries said to be victimized by climate change. Though proponents say there's more, though proponents say more is needed to scale back fossil fuels. 
the deal gavel around dawn in the Egyptian Red Sea resort city of Sharm el-Sheikh established a fund for what negotiators call loss and damage. It was a big win for poor nations that have long called for money, sometimes viewed as reparations, because they are often the victims of floods, droughts, and heat waves, famines, and storms, despite having contributed little to the population that heats up the globe. While the fund would be largely aimed at the most vulnerable nations, there would be room for middle-income countries severely battered by climate disasters to get aid. Details of the fund have yet to be worked out. It will likely be a major topic at the next year's climate conference in the United Arab Emirates in 2023. So far, only a few nations have made significant pledges for payments. And so I'm going to um, kind of stop right there for a second. And let's go over some of um, the main points so far. So you have a country, so you have a relatively poor country like Egypt. And you have other poor countries. They, of course, they want money from the richer countries. They, they don't want necessarily to do anything to earn the money. It's kind of, kind of like um, socialism and within individuals. Um, the reality is, you know, the redistribution of wealth works for from those who earn wealth to those who didn't earn wealth. And so, like countries also, you have countries that earned their wealth and others didn't. And so, on the face of it, it seems maybe like a good idea. And maybe there's some form of that might, that might be a positive thing to everybody puts away a little bit of money in the UN fund, and that helps out uh, bail out a country in need. Now, the problem with that is, that I see, is that you some of these countries that want the money, um, they're very corrupt. Okay, if you have a country like Haiti, extreme corruption in that country, and it doesn't matter how much money you throw at that country, most of it is going to go to like the top 2%, the top, the ruling class of that country, the rulers of that country. Okay, that's the way it always seems to work. Again, you have a lot of these countries, you know, they don't lack in resources. A lot of these countries, um, like Venezuela, is has a lot of oil on the ground, but is very corrupt. Um so money given to Venezuela, for instance, or uh, Cuba will only go to the ruling class. That will be the huge beneficiaries of the ruling elite in those countries. And so that's the problem. You have corruption in these countries that drains the wealth. And it's not that a lot of these countries don't have natural resources. 
is that you have a, a few people or a single party that's draining the wealth of that country. And again, you have that a lot of in uh, post-colonial Africa, South America, and parts of Asia. Um, but so the, you have these countries, rather than reforming themselves, um, they want money to be given to them that they haven't earned, okay, as a country. And of course, there are some generally poor countries, they have zero resources, and they, they, there's very little for them to build wealth upon, so they need help. Um, you know, just like some human beings, they're, they're born with, uh, you know, disabilities, they can't provide for themselves because of disability. Some countries have kind of the same thing they lack in natural resources but then again there's plenty of countries that lack in natural resources that have overcome that lack like japan for instance doesn't have a lot of natural resources um they don't have a lot of like metal to work with they don't have like any way of creating a steel industry themselves but yet they sell a lot of cars for instance that are made of steel why? Because they've developed a system that allows them to um, create things. They, they're very good at adapting other technologies invented in other places and doing them more efficiently because their society lends itself to that sort of thing. And they're very, they're, they love, you know, in Japan particularly, they love their technology. So they're always one of the technological leaders. And you don't really need a lot of resources if you have um, a institutional love for technology in your country. And you have other countries like um, Israel, for instance. They, have, um, they don't have a lot of resources. It's a, it's, it's a desert country for the most part. And... There's really not a lot of natural resources there, but they do have a lot of uh, human capital in that they have a well-educated population. And so now they've turned themselves into one of the leading um, technological countries where they're always um, at the leading edges of technology. You know, they had their one of the few countries to develop their own COVID vaccine and of course they have a lot of computer technology that doesn't depend upon them having too much uh, natural resources to use and so there's other countries that have figured out too um, you know you have countries like Ireland they've they've figured out they, they can be um, havens for businesses because they can lower their taxes their corporate tax rates. So they make investment in their country more attractive than others. And plus, they also have a lot of human capital and they can, um, they don't need a lot of resources in that country to develop technology. And then, like Sweden um, and the other Nordic countries, they have kind of the same thing. They've 
And the the whole idea of maybe you've heard of ISO 9000. Well, that comes from uh, Sweden, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And so that they just made themselves the arbiters of um, standards and regulations that you know the you know you have the UL electrical standard, for instance, and you have standards for business practices, and they've kind of made themselves basically with no resources to speak of except for their human capital, and they've made themselves a center of commerce and banking um, because they, are, they, they, they dedicated themselves to developing their brain power and business power and their business acumen. And so you have countries like that, and as I mentioned, Japan, very good at creating, uh, using existing technology, improving upon existing technology. And so there are countries that do a lot with very little uh, resources. And there are other countries that don't do anything with resources. They don't have resources and they don't do too much to help themselves. And there's also countries that are very corrupt. Um, you can send billions of dollars of aid to them and 999 a uh, million dollars of that aid will go to the top 1% top tier of the ruling elites in that country. And then you have other countries um, like oil. They, they're very rich in oil, but not much else. And so they can leverage their energy independence or their energy, their ability to produce fossil fuels. And they're able to enrich themselves that way. But then you have Venezuela with a lot of oil under the ground. But because of their system is basically a communist system that's basically broken, they're not they're not able to take advantage of it because they don't have the kind of development that other countries that engage in free markets do. Okay, so they depend on other countries, ironically, to have free markets so that they can stay in power. Um, you know, you know, uh, um, there's kind of the old saying that capitalism, capitalism makes what communism takes. And so that's kind of the phenomenon that you have here between countries, but the UN conveniently, you know, it doesn't see the faults in some of these countries why they're not wealthy. It only sees that they're not wealthy and they need help. And they've decided that the reason that these countries have need help because they've been exploited by more wealthy countries. And so you have this system here based around climate change. Um, so I'm going to read some more uh, um, from this article and then give you some more of my thoughts. Um, the fund would initially draw on contributions from developed countries and other private and public sources such as international financial institutions. 
while major emerging economies such as China, the second largest economy in the world and the top emitter, would automatically have to contribute. That option remains on the table. This was a key demand by the European Union and the United States. They argue that China and other large polluters currently classified as developing countries have the financial clout and responsibility to pay their way. Again, this would kind of suggest that it's not really the climate that's the problem, it's the ideology, because the ones that have the correct ideology, um, like China in this instance, they have a favored status among the UN. Um, whereas the capitalist countries of Europe and the United States in particular, you know, they're the bad capitalist countries. So they're the ones that are being made to pay. So one wonders, is it really about the climate or is it really about the ideology that the uh, UN is basing their rules upon. Um, so, uh, kind of reading on here, um, says, while the new agreement doesn't ratchet up calls for reducing emissions, it does retain language to keep alive the global goal of limiting warming to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. Next year's talks will also see further negotiations to work out details of the new loss and damage fund, as well as review of the world's efforts to meet the goals of the Paris Accord. Okay, now that brings to mind the other problem I have with this, is that the, the well-to-do countries like the United States, they already help other countries in great need after um, natural disasters. You look at the tremendous help we gave, for instance, to Haiti after they had their earthquake and also a uh, hurricane in, in, quick, in quick succession a few years ago. We gave them um, enormal, enormous um, aid. And of course, anywhere pretty much in the world that has a natural disaster, be it tsunami, in Indonesia or an earthquake or a typhoon or a hurricane, uh, the United States is always one of the first places to lend aid. Even when they had that big um, earthquake in Iran, we sent help over there. Or we, we always offer our help and assistance. Um, but to the UN, apparently, that doesn't count for anything. The fact that the United States um, already gives uh, huge amounts of aid, particularly countries in the Western Hemisphere, but mainly all countries after natural disasters, and so too do most of the countries in Europe and um, the English-speaking countries such as Australia to the, the best um, of their ability, they help out other less fortunate countries already without having been mandated by the UN. So the UN conveniently forgets about all of the things, all the ways which wealthy countries already help uh, countries 
um, recover from natural disasters, particularly hurricanes. And the other thing I, I want to um, talk about here is keep they want to keep uh, it talks about retain language to keep alive the global goal of limiting warming to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, some people have postulated that if we basically undid all of the Industrial Revolution and basically went back to agrarian society, um, you know, from the 1700s, that would, that even that would not um, get us to 2.7 degrees. It wouldn't even get, probably get us to, to, to 0.7, much less 2.7 degrees. And so here the UN has set this impossibly high goal that no one can ever reach. And you'll never know if you reached it, right? Because, you know, oh, well, you know, let's say, well, first of all, um, like I said, we could probably do away with all fossil fuel use entirely and not reach that goal. Just, just doing that because the fossil fuels that we're using may not have as much effect on the environment as people like these uh, globalist leaders will have us believe. And where do they come up with these two per two point seven degrees? What what does that do? How do they come up with it? What does that do in practical terms? You know, so you have this pie in the sky, inobtainable goal already of two point seven degrees, which basically, I think they have it set that high so that you'll never meet, you'll never reach it, and you'll always need to put the globalist in power. There'll always be a need for this totalitarian oligarchy that they're they're forming and that they're trying to form. And there'll always be a need for socialism. Socialism somehow is always the cure to any kind of uh, climate emergency. Somehow the cure for climate change is always seems to be doing away with capitalism. And so you have this inobtainable degree, and I can guarantee you, if the leftists had their way tomorrow, and uh, there was no more capitalism, and there was no more fossil fuels, which would be a complete disaster, um, complete hellscape of a, of a earth, um, in very short order, um, but even if we did that, first of all, we would never get to 2.7 degrees, and then once the people have the power, once the people have the power that are seeking it, these global elites have that totalitarian power that now they're the figureheads of the totalitarian pyramid, like at, at the apex of the pyramid. They're collectively, their ideology is at the top, as Desmond would put it in, in his book, The Psychology of Totalitarianism, where he mentions that, um, going on, try, not 
go off track too much, but uh, he talks about, you know, you can't just depose the leader of this totalitarian movement because there is this idea that it's the ideology that's in charge, not one person. And so, anyway, obtaining this 2.7 degrees would be meaningless. First of all, it's never going to happen. It's not even practical for it to happen. And I can guarantee you, as soon as the people in power, or the people who want the power on the left, get, if they were to get the power they want, sooner, you know, they would not need that 2.7 degrees. And all of a sudden, once they had that power, they would do basically whatever they want with regards to burning fossil fuels or their environment. All of a sudden, all of this climate change alarmism will go out the window. Uh, that's, that's my personal belief. I think if, God forbid, these people actually obtain the power that they seek, that's what would happen. They would conveniently forget about the 2.7 degrees and um, climate change. You know, they'll, they might uh, hold it over this, the people because, you know, the third of the people are always going to be gullible anyhow, and they're going to believe whatever the elite says. They're just going to go along with what the, the elite class says. So they're, they're just not going to resist. And so they might keep it just symbolically just say, Hey, look, there's still this global warming thing that, you know, that carrot that, they, that that's always out in front of the donkey. Um, you know, that's the, that's what the idea, it's always going to be that carrot that they dangle in front of you. Okay. But really, um, they'll do what at that point, because the, the purpose of this is not to fix the environment. Okay, the purpose is power, okay, to achieve the power. And so once they have achieved power, um, the things that they did to achieve that power will just disappear. Again, it's a totalitarian system in, what, in which the ends justify the means. It's kind of like in 1984 where basically the, the, the stated goal of the Big Brother Party is that the the purpose of power is power. Uh, the purpose of strength is strength. The purpose of power is power. It's it's you know that is the ends um, that justify the means. And so again, it's it's like I've mentioned many times on this podcast before that. Democracy. Right now you're hearing, particularly Democrats in the United States, talk about democracy, democracy, and democracy. And all of a sudden democracy has been saved for now because the Republicans didn't get their red wave. So that's a sign that democracy is working because the democracy didn't choose the wrong people into power. So do you understand what I'm saying here? So... Democracy is but the ends to the means. Once they have that ends, as and it's been the case in every, you know, look at Venezuela. Um, you had uh, Hugo Chavez. He was elected into power, right? And then as soon as he had power, as soon as he had enough power, 
he did away with the idea of fair elections. See, they have some semblance of elections, but everybody knows they're not fair. And everybody knows any serious competitor to their view is going to be put in jail or killed or, or disappeared. And it's the same thing with other totalitarian states. You know, as soon as they have the power that they want, you know, it's like Mussolini and Hitler. They came to power originally through democratic means, you know, shady means, albeit. But democratic's uh, semblance of democratic process put them in the power initially. And then conveniently, they did away with that power. So it's kind of like, you know, um, you know, in, in Star Wars where, you know, the Chancellor gets finally gets elected his power. Uh, he does away with the Senate that gave him the power, you know, becomes the Emperor. Um, but the, that is only a reflection of what happens in real life. Again, with like Chavez and all these other um, despots, they, you know, they gain power through the election and then the uh, they only have the semblance of democracy to perpetuate the illusion of their legitimacy. And so, you know, like in the Soviet Union, you had elections in the Soviet Union. You know, everybody knew who the winner was, who's going to be, but they had elections just to validate, um, just to give the illusion to the people that they've had a say. And that, hey, look, it's, it's democracy, it's the people's will. That Stalin is our leader. And so they have that power. Once they get that power, then the democracy becomes secondary. Then it just becomes just um, an ornament. Okay, it just becomes ornamental. It's, it becomes useless. They have the power they want. Then they're, con they're con consolidated power. And so, I don't know how this all relates to this idea of um, people voting themselves money, but it is related in a greater sense, and that's how this leftist totalitarian system works. Um, so, when you hear about climate change, remember that the the purpose of the climate change alarm, alarmism isn't to fix the climate, lower the average temperature by 2.7 degrees. The purpose is to give money and power to those who seek it. Okay, and that's really the, the main takeaway, I guess, from that rant was. And so we have that. It'll be interesting to see what happens in the United States. Because this would be counted as a treaty. And again, like the Paris Accords, you know, uh, I think it was President Obama signed us on to the, the Kyoto Accords, I think it was. Um, whatever, Paris Treaty or whatever it is. Um, but it was never ratified by the Senate. But, you know, it's like the, the Iran deal. It's a good example. Obama got this deal from Iran. It's a treaty in every sense of the word, but, you know, they use a kind of like a loophole in the constitutional language, you know, language in the constitutional law that allows them 
you know, it's has the effect of treaty unless it's voted for. And simply what Obama did is he just didn't bring it to a vote. Um, the Senate never was afforded a chance to to vote yay or nay on this treaty. Um, so that was how um, it became had the effect of law, even though it's clearly, you know, anybody who's read the Constitution knows that that shouldn't be the way. But they again, they found the way of getting around it um, by a kind of loophole that they've exploited. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens here. Um, does Biden sign on to this agreement? And, you know, to what degree? Because if Biden signs on to the agreement, particularly, you know, it's not going to get passed by the Senate. Um, that's going to be 49, 51, or 50-50, even with the um, the vote. Because I think a treaty has to be um, has to be, has to be, uh, passed by a supermajority, I believe. So you're not going to have, it's never, the Senate's never going to have a chance to weigh in on this, at least as, as, as long as the Democrats are able to keep it away from the legislative process. Uh, it'll be like the Iran deal, and then it will take an executive order which which is what Trump did. And so that's the only shortcoming to what Obama did when he put us into the Iran deal is it was just done by executive order. And as soon as we had a new executive, well, he could rescind that order. And so it didn't have the power of law because it was never passed by the Senate. And so my idea is that much the same thing will occur here. Biden will pass this treaty and if the Republicans win in 24, whether it be Trump or the Senate or somebody else, likely that treaty will be rescinded, whatever form it takes. Um, but we will see in about uh, two to three years from now what happened. But from now, um, the takeaway from this article, I think, is, again, it is the redistribution of wealth on a global scale. So this is um, what uh, socialism is to the individual, to the social state. This is the nations to the global leadership or the UN. And so, but it's basically the same principle is that no one can be too high nobody can be too low and that the idea is that you bring up the bottom you bring up the floor by lowering the ceiling which of course is a fallacy but this is a fallacy that these people believe and are pursuing here and of course if you are one of those poorer countries why wouldn't you be all for this why wouldn't you be for uh, creating some rationale for countries to give you money that you didn't earn yourself you know and by the way a lot of that money is going to go to you as the leader of that country it's not going to go to the people anyhow because we'll see what kind of oversight we have i think there'll be this is basically an international version 
of the people voting themselves uh, money, kind of like um, what happens in the United States. You know, we, we can be a republic until the voters figure out that they can vote themselves money from the taxpayers' money. And so kind of it's the same thing here with the UN. The smaller countries have figured out a way to get money from the bigger countries, and they're doing it under the guise of climate change. And the people, um, basically drivers behind all of this, the people behind the scenes, um, if they're honest, it, you know, they're fine with that. Because they're they're seeking the power, and so if people naively believe that um, you know if we do enough, we can reduce the climate by two point seven degrees Fahrenheit, um, you know there always be enough people that will go along with that they believe, um, so they'll. But the real reason, of course, for them to have power is so they go along with the scheme, even though it hurts them maybe in the short term. They know that they've got the rules set up so that they'll be exempt or they'll never suffer themselves from the rules they have to pass for everybody else. And so that is it. I guess the moral of the story is that uh, people will vote themselves money if they can. And you know what? what you know, if, again, if you're a poor country, why wouldn't you be for this? You know, why wouldn't you be for free money? It's kind of like the people in COVID, um, individual people in this country and during COVID, why wouldn't you want that $1,200 check? Now, we're paying for it, of course. Right now, in the form of inflation, it's going to continue. But back in 2020 and 2021, we were receiving those checks. We we're all happy about it. But now we're paying for it in the form of inflation. Something like that is going to happen, obviously, uh, here. You know, where are they going to get their money? The UN, sooner or later, is going to run out of other people's money. And then what are they going to do then? I think their plan is to have enough of their totalitarian oligarchy in place where they don't have to worry about that anymore. They don't have to worry about the pretense of climate change. They'll have the power they want. They won't worry about that. So, again, this is, um, I guess, a critique of human nature is that people will, you know, they will, uh, democracy can be used, exploited to vote yourself money if you can. Um, to other people, it's just a stepping stone to greater power. Once they reach that power, the democracy goes by the wayside. So it's no longer useful. You know, it's just becomes a uh, symbolic, uh, ornament to their system has no really, it's of no consequence, you know, like the, you know, elections in North Korea. You know, they probably, you know, or in Iran, well, you know, the chosen person of the Ayatollahs, he's not going to lose that election, you know. And like in, in Russia, you know, Putin's not going to lose the election, you know, 
by hook or by crook, he's going to make sure he wins. Um, if if he has a uh, formidable competitor, um, that competitor is going to be jailed or disappeared or killed, or he or he'll rig the system. You know, he'll rig the ballot box or or his people will count the votes and of course whoever counts the votes controls the election, at least from a cynical point of view. But that's what happens and so um so this is another idea of kind of taking advantage of and this will be my final word promise on the subject for now. The, taking advantage of the naivete about people, they they've been been convinced that if they just give up their fossil fuels, that everybody everything will be gooder. You know, if I stop creating energy, the the UN says that things will be better for me, and they they believe that. Um, they don't realize that this is just a means to power for some. So, we'll see what happens as far as this becoming law in the United States. Will it become a treaty as it should be, right? Um, probably not. Probably end up being like the Iran deal. But we'll see. It is a redistribution of wealth. That is a huge tenant, a huge selling point for the people who want control on the left. So, that's really all you need to know in summary about this so i'd like to thank you for watching and listening i want to thank you for following liberty relearned online and for uh, if you're watching on rumble in particular please like and subscribe and also take the time to reckon uh, recommend this to your friends maybe someone else is interested in this sort of thing they need this information or they just like hearing more about what like the globalists in the war on in the world um are trying to do to control the rest of us you know the idea of uh, a mass formation as uh, matthias desmond puts it in his book um, the psychology of totalitarianism. And by the way, I dedicated an entire episode or a couple episodes now to the, uh, to, uh, that book, the totalitarian, the, the, uh, psychology of totalitarianism, which I highly recommend you get and read. And once, if you do read it, you'll kind of you'll see all these things happening and they'll make more sense. You'll see how they fit in with this mass formation. Someone call it mass hysteria or mass hypnosis or mass psychosis, but this mass formation of this group think, I guess. So you'll, you'll, if you read it, you'll understand why things happen the way they have, particularly under COVID. And now under climate change, you'll understand why people buy into this and what they get out of buying into all the climate change alarmism or all the COVID alarmism or what the next thing is, right? Particularly on the left. 
you'll understand what they get psychologically out of it. So I, I recommend highly you read that book and you'll get new insight into everything that the left is doing. So thank you again for listening and watching. And please follow Liberty Relearned on Getter at LR Podcast and at Liberty Relearned on Facebook and LibertyRelearned.com online. Follow me, JP Mac, on Parlor. And until next time, stay healthy, happy, and free.